This is How I Got Here, a podcast where we interview professionals about how they navigated the twists and turns of their careers. We hope these conversations can help you figure out where you want to go and how you'll get there. We're your hosts. I'm Lara Mitra. And I'm Eric Eliason. In each episode, we'll first give you a quick intro about who we are speaking with, and then we'll dive into the interview. To stay up to date, follow How I Got Here on LinkedIn and subscribe to our newsletter at howigotherepodcast.com. We hope you enjoy. Like many of us when we were growing up, Amy Weinblum had big dreams for her future. Her dream was to work for none other than Oprah Winfrey. Once she was in college, though, Amy discovered that she had a passion for lots of different things, and she lost track of what exactly she wanted to do with her career. That is, until she asked herself a fateful question. Ultimately, her answer to that question led her to achieving her childhood dream. She became Oprah Winfrey's chief of staff for eight years and much more. Hi, I'm Amy Weinblum, Chief Business Development Officer at WW. Maybe just to get started, we'd love to hear a little bit about your growing up and, you know, where did you grow up and what were you into? Did you have any hobbies? Anything like that? Growing up. So I grew up in a small town outside of Pittsburgh, just a really nice, normal, suburban, small town background. My aunts and uncles lived in walking distance and a lot of my cousins. And I am certainly grateful for for that time growing up in a community. But I was also a kid who knew there was more and was really interested in city life and understanding what it would mean to be part of a, a larger community. And in those early years, did you have any sense of, you know, you had a dream job that you wanted or a role that you really wanted? Did you have a a knowledge of what you wanted to be when you grew up? You know, when I talk about living in a small town, my uncle was the mayor and my best friend's father was the police chief. I mean, it was (laughs) small. And so I think I had a very limited view of what was even possible in terms of your career. And I can remember going to, to college. I went to Penn State and I got there and was meeting people who were, were majoring in mineral economics and things that I didn't even understand what they meant. And I think was one of the things that I was most intrigued with going to going to university where there were so many different areas of study. And, and I think about so many careers now that didn't even exist then. You know, the, the internet was in it. I'm going to date myself here, but, you know, we were learning about the internet and what that was going to look like in the future and social media didn't exist. And so I think that's, that's one of the things that I think about all the time that you don't even know what you don't know until you put yourself in opportunities to, to see those things. And I'm wondering, you know, so as you went to, to Penn State with this mindset, did you know what you wanted to study or were you kind of open, open-minded open and, and going with the flow? I went really open-minded, but also everyone always said, you're going to be a lawyer. That's <laughs> always what I sort of thought I would go to law school. And it felt like a good fit for me just based on my interests and my passions and things that, that I like to do. And, and the big joke in college became no matter what class I took, I said, that's what I was going to do. So I took an advertising <laughs> class and I thought, oh, that's really interesting. And now I took a, an administration of justice class and that felt interesting. And when I had to, to sign up for 
requirements, like a science course, and I was taking an oceanography class, everyone would say, okay, now she's going to want to be a marine biologist. No, I was really a curious person and really mm. interested in the world around me. And, and I started to to see a theme for myself that the the piece of everything that I was interested in was really communication. I, I had always been interested in psychology. And so I thought originally that, that that was an area that I could go into, but it was how communication impacted every situation, our relationships and, and organizations and business. And so after taking a, a speech course, I found out there was a major that at the time was called speech communication. And it was really the study of the art of communication and how communication facilitates human relationships and how you can have bigger impact on every area of your life. People used to ask me back then, what are you gonna do with that? You're an interpersonal relationship and communication major. And ironically, I, I've gone on to manage some of the most, some of the greatest communicators in the world. And mm -hmm. it's, it really both prepared me for absolutely nothing specific <laughs> and everything that I could possibly need or do professionally and more important, personally. And what do you think is the reason behind why you loved communication so much? I think it is the single most important skill to have in life. You know, an idea is only as good as you're able to communicate it in, in business. Your, your relationships are dependent mostly on your communication and how you get your ideas across in, in every part of your life. And so it, it has been something that I have always been interested in. And while my career took a turn into entertainment and media, it, it really was the one-on-one -on -one and impact of communication and the impact of your words and behavior on an organization that most fascinated me and has most driven all of my career decisions through the years. And Amy, I'm wondering if you can bring us back. It sounds like you found this passion that you've, you know, carried through the rest of your career and your life. But if you bring us back to when you were just graduating from college and you're trying to take this passion, you, you had mentioned that people were like, well, what are you going to do with that? How did you think about translating it into actually, okay, this is the job I'm going to go apply for? I had thought about going to graduate school and to really dive into interpersonal relationships and and become a, a relationship theorist that was something that I had thought about and nothing was feeling right and hmm. I remember trying to articulate it for myself and I can so clearly remember asking myself probably the most important question I've ever asked myself and, and a question that I, I hope everyone can feel comfortable asking themselves which is what do you really love and no one had ever asked me that in, in all the times I met with advisors, in all the times when you're a child and people say to you, what are you going to be when you grow up? How, how do you know that without understanding what, what do you love? And, and the answer at the time was TV. And it was such <laughs> a pure, simple answer. It was the thing that brought me joy. It was the thing that, that brought us together, the shared experience. I remember all my girlfriends in college would, would meet for our shows during the week as our break from, from studying. And I saw the impact that it had in helping to articulate 
issues and ideas and I really loved it. And yet I didn't know one person that worked in TV. I didn't, I had not taken a TV class in college or media class or film class. And so very naively, I went to my advisor and said, well, I know you're thinking that, that I should do this. And I know I've said I would do that, but I really think I want to go work in TV. And he just stared at me blankly and wasn't (laughs) sure what to do with that because nothing in my background was, was really leading to that. And without calling anything out specifically, he, he said something to me around, you know, do you know anyone? Does, do your parents know anyone? And, and I was just stopped in my tracks. It was, it was in the the late nineties. And I, I couldn't believe that, that he was asking me that. And I, and I really don't think it came from a bad place. I think it just was so out of left field in many ways. And it made me really angry and it made me really ambitious. And it put me on this path where I thought I am going to get an internship in TV, no matter what, to, to really show that knowing someone is not the only way to get somewhere. So what did you do from there to break into the TV world then? I was obsessive about it. And I remember, again, going to really date me, but going to the library and pulling out these binders for America's top internships. And I applied and you would call the phone numbers and it would just put you through to a voicemail that said, if you'd like to apply for an internship, send your resume here. And I was so frustrated that I wasn't hearing from anybody that I got really creative and I used to record the shows that I like that I thought I might want to work on. And then I would transcribe the credits at the, you know, there was no IMDb then. <laughs> there was no way oh to look goodness. that up. And I didn't even know what anybody did. I didn't know what a director did. I didn't know what a producer did. And I would see a title and it would say, you know, executive producer or coordinating producer, Jane Smith. And I'd call the show at the same number where they used to put me through to the, the internship hotline with a pre-recorded message. And I would say, um, oh, hi, Jane. They put, they put me right through to her. And I'd say, hey, Jane, um, this is Amy Weibel. I'm so sorry. I, I didn't mean to bother you. I was trying to get to your internship coordinator. And would you, would you just mind telling me who that person is? And they'd tell me the name that was, you know, Joe Jones. And, and they would I'd ask for their their direct line and I would ask if they would mind transferring me. And so then they transferred me to Joe Jones and I'd say, oh, hi, um, this is Amy Weinblum. I was recommended to speak with you by Jane Smith, which was not a lie because she technically did just tell me (laughs) that that was the person that I needed to talk to. And then I would tell them a little bit about myself and what I was looking for and what I hope to do. And I asked for their direct at the time fax line. And I would write a letter saying it was so great connecting with you. And I loved hearing more about this. And here's why I think I'm right for your internship program. And I remember coming back from spring break as a senior and coming off the elevator. And my entire floor was hysterical because my entire answering machine was filled with you know, hi, this is so-and-so from Dateline. This is so-and-so from NBC. <laughs> this is so-and-so from the Rosie O'Donnell <laughs> Show. And, and it really got me an interview at almost every show I applied to because wow. I took the time to develop a personal relationship. And in that cover letter, 
I never mentioned the first person who put me through. So it wasn't like somebody was going to go then <laughs> back and say, oh, I got a resume from your friend, yeah. but they remembered the conversation. And so again, the power of, of communication, of taking a risk and of being willing to make your own relationships, despite not having an in or knowing anyone. Amy, I'm curious how you went from someone who, you know, you took a class in, in a topic in college and you thought it would be your next major. You had so many different interests to then settling on TV, but getting all this discouragement from your professor. How did you have so much conviction that this is the right path? Asking yourself the question, what do you love, is very clarifying because <laughs> you're never wrong about what you love. You may, that the answer to that may change mm. over time. And I would ask that, that, that you understand that you can ask that question at different times in your life and the answer changes. And sometimes the thing that you love when you're 20 is not the thing that you love anymore when you're 30, but you're, you're never going to go wrong asking yourself, what lights me up? What is the thing that I get excited about? And so I think when it came to television, what I learned very quickly is that the product was actually less important than the process. I was really conscious once I started that I've worked on hit shows that I was really unhappy on. And I've worked on shows that no one has ever seen. And I was the happiest that I've ever been because the process of making that show was so joyful and so collaborative. And it was such a happy time in my life that uh, I think I think finding people you want to work with is the single most important thing when you're looking for your next career move. Could you tell us about your first stint in television and, and how you were feeling? I had I had had a few I'd worked my first internship was at 30 Rockefeller Plaza when I was at the Rosie O'Donnell show and so I, it was, it was NBC. The show itself was not an NBC show, but we were physically in that building. And there was a program called the NBC page program that some of you might've might recognize from 30 rock character. Kenneth was an NBC page. It is nothing like that. It is a very competitive entry-level program in television that brings together about now I think it's about a hundred people a year, but about 10,000 apply for this program. And it is doing everything from, you know, audience coordination for the shows to doing NBC studio tours. And then you have the opportunity to go on assignments all over the network from the president's office to the Macy's Thanksgiving day parade, to the Christmas tree lighting, to Saturday night live and, and the different shows. It, it was really an extraordinary opportunity, but I almost missed the opportunity because coming out of college and coming out of interning for so many months unpaid without like a base. If you asked me then what was most important to me, which you might laugh at now, given the year we just had, I most wanted a desk <laughs> and a phone line and a business card. That was to me the measure of true success coming out of an internship. And so I, I got that going to work at this talent agency, but I love a team sport and being on a show and being around a lot of people. And, and while I took the job 
very seriously and appreciated the opportunity, it didn't feel right. And so I continued with my application for the PAGE program, which thank goodness I hadn't withdrawn yet and was very close to doing so. And I got into the, into the PAGE program and it is the single best thing I ever did professionally for a number of reasons. One, it allowed me to explore lots of different areas at one time. And I think if you're ever given the opportunity to do that, it is invaluable. I think that the second mistake that I could have made was creating my own network. And I think so many people are worried about networking up and finding mentors and, and being known and recognized in an industry when really the key early in your career is to develop relationships with people who are exactly where you are. And to this day, I have probably 50 people that I can call at any time without feeling awkward or feeling like we haven't been in touch. And I can say, Hey, it's Amy. I know it's been such a long time. I hope you and the kids are doing great. I really need a contact at X, or I really need your advice on this. And, and we just cut to it because we know exactly who we were before we had any power. And, and these are the people that you started out with who you really know. And there are people who would call me that I was pages with that I wouldn't give advice to. And that I didn't, wouldn't trust now, no matter what position they're in, because I knew exactly who they were then. And, and it's actually something I think about a lot and why I think treating everyone, whether they're your boss or they're the president of the network, or they're your assistant or an intern or anyone that you come across to treat everyone exactly the same because the intern that you hire today could be hiring you later. And there are people who are your mentors early in your career and you become their mentors later. And it, it is a very fluid process of your professional and personal life overlapping and intersecting that, that starts the day you start working and actually before and, and carries you through your career. And I'm wondering, so if we go back, that's some really great advice, Amy. I'm wondering if we go back, you were at, you were an NBC page program for a while. And then we know that you ended up becoming a TV producer uh, shortly thereafter. And I'm wondering if you could just give us a sense of what is, you know, it sounds like you didn't even know this when you started, what does a TV producer do? And what did you like about that job? So the first internship I did was at the Rosie O'Donnell show. And I actually then became a page and then the Rosie show created a job for me as a research assistant that then led to, to my producer track. And I almost didn't take the job because I loved being a page so much and it was so much fun and I was learning so much. And then when I got the job offer and consider not taking it, everyone's like, okay, <laughs> you do the page program to get a job and now you have a job offer and you have to take it. And so it really was the best of all worlds because I got to stay in the building and I, it was almost like I was on, on assignment. I don't know if any of you have, have seen the show or remember the show, but it really was the first of its kind daytime variety show that so many shows that we see now, like Ellen and Kelly Clarkson really, came from that that was really the beginning of that kind of show that was that took the magic of late night with the celebrity interviews and adapted it for a family-friendly audience and it what I loved about it was it was really like being in the center of the universe you were literally in the middle of New York City and it just was this phenomenal time to be in the middle of pop culture and I 
was promoted eventually to associate producer and segment producer. I worked on that show during September 11th. And it was a time where I think a lot of people were really thinking, is what I'm doing changing the world? Is what I'm doing contributing to the greater good? And it was a question that we really asked ourselves as a team when we were trying to come back and do a comedy show. And what you realize is that producing television is a real service. It is the thing that people turn to, to escape and to bring joy into their lives. And I think that we really use that show to also tell stories around the foster system and adoption and breast cancer awareness and things Rosie was really passionate about and to use it for the greater good. It sounds like you were really excited by this role and were doing meaningful work. At that point in your career, did you think, you know, you wanted to be a TV producer forever? I I did. I really saw myself on the track to executive producer or studio executive. And I think in the same way, growing up, I didn't know all the opportunities that were there. You get on a track and you think, okay, I'm going to be a production assistant and associate producer and a producer. And, you know, you sort of just see one path. And actually my career did not start getting really interesting until I was willing to open up the aperture of what was possible. And I started making career decisions very differently after I worked at Comedy Central. And I had Rosie ended and it was really this hit show, you know, where our staff could have gone anywhere. And and I had a lot of different opportunities after that. And I begrudgingly went to an interview that someone kind of forced me into at Comedy Central on a new sh- for a new show that was coming out called Tough Crowd with Colin Quinn. And Colin had been on Saturday Night Live and he was gonna do this new talk show with four comics. He was gonna moderate. And I went to the interview and I met this woman, Diane Fitzgerald, who was the line producer. And I instantly thought, I wanna work with this person. And I didn't know what the job was and I didn't know what I was gonna be doing. And I walked out of there thinking I'm going to work with her. And she called me and offered me a job as a rights and clearance coordinator. I said, well, you know, I, I know a little bit about rights and clearances, but that isn't something that I am familiar with or have any expertise in. And she said, I think you're really smart and you can figure it out. And I thought, okay, well, I'm going to figure it out because I really want to work with her. And so I started during the pilot and worked my way up and ended up as a, a coordinating producer on the show. And I love that job so much because of the people that were, were brought together. And she was the first person that I ever saw in a business setting who would be in a meeting with network executives and she would raise her hand and say, I'm sorry, I have no idea what you're talking about. Or I, does anybody, is anybody else following this? Or I, I don't really think that that's what, what we were trying to say. And I saw a level of vulnerability in her that I had never seen before from a leader. And it changed the way I led, but it also changed the way that I approached work altogether. And I realized that being around people who you can be vulnerable with and who you can be your full self with 
is the key to professional happiness. It's not a bunch of credits on a resume. And I'm still very much in touch with her and have told her many times how much she's changed the trajectory of my career. And what I learned on that show is that the thing that you think is the the right thing for you isn't always isn't always the thing and to be open to working with people who make you better and who are going to advocate for you and who are going to be your champion in the room when you're not so fast forwarding a few years we know you spent some time in in various production companies um, and eventually you became chief of staff to none other than Oprah Winfrey, a role that you you had for eight years. Tell us about that transition and the story behind, you know, how that was even on your radar and, and how you ultimately got that job. So there were a couple steps before that that actually mm-hmm. led to that. When I left Comedy Central after a couple of years, that were really great years of my career. I was feeling a little bit burnt out of TV. I had gone from working in daytime that required very early mornings and long days to late night that, as you can imagine, were very late nights <laughs> and late tapings and late edits. And and I was really thinking, what is the right next thing? And I fell into a job running Robert De Niro's office at Tribeca. And what I loved about it was that I had my hands in a lot of different things. And so he of course is a Oscar award-winning actor and producer and director, but he also was the founder of the Tribeca Film Festival. And he also had hotels and restaurants. And he was also on the board to rebuild the Trade Center in Lower Manhattan after 9-11. And he was doing a ton of philanthropic work. And so there were all these areas that I got to explore and learn about. And what I saw was even more than producing, I loved being able to impact a lot of different parts of an organization or a lot of different organizations. And at the same time, I was having my own existential crisis, which I think so many of us go through, which is what am I contributing to the world and how am I giving back and is is all I'm ever going to be as a TV producer and really feeling like I loved mentoring and I loved helping people find their career path and, and identify their passions. And so I had ended up taking a couple of business classes at NYU that led to their coaching program. And it was the very early days of coaching. This is like around 2007, 2008. And those programs were just starting. And so I got certified to be a, a life coach at NYU and started a coaching practice then and really loved the work and and my business grew very quickly without doing any marketing really organically. And I was working with a lot of people who were trying to get both into and out of the entertainment business. And by no means did I feel like an expert, but I had had my own experience doing that. And so knew that I had helpful things that, that could serve other people. And so I started coaching full-time and realized quickly, I don't like coaching full-time either. I like that to be part of my life, but not my whole life. And so I was really starting to think about what is the right balance of these two things that I loved, having my hands in a lot of different things, being in the entertainment industry, and also coaching and mentoring and leading and managing. That sounds like it was a really important realization that you had just had. 
And I'm curious, what did you do next? I told three people that I was ready for the next thing. And one of them said to me, what about the Oprah job? And I said, what Oprah job? (laughs) I had wanted to work for Oprah Winfrey my entire life since I was 10 years old. All the other kids are out riding their bikes and I am talking to people about the increase in the divorce rate in America. (laughs) Always my greatest wish. And the year that she announced that the show was ending, I was devastated because that was my deepest dream. And my biggest desire was to work for her. And I thought, how did I never pursue that? I had all these years working on all these shows in New York. And how did I never go back to the, to the dream? And all of a sudden I'm on the phone with somebody the year that the show's ending. And she's saying, what about the Oprah job? And so it turned out that many months earlier, she had said to me, there is a job that I just heard about that is opening in LA and I just cut her off. Apparently I don't really believe <laughs> she tells me it did. And I said, I'm not moving to LA. I, I was like a diehard New Yorker. I thought I was going <laughs> to live and die in New York. And I said, you never told me it was for Oprah. She said, yes, I did. I said, no, you didn't. And, and she said, I already told them you wouldn't move to LA. And I said, we'll call them back and tell them I would move to LA. And so this is many, many months later. She said that conversation had happened in March and it's now September. And I thought, what are the chances that the job wasn't filled? And she called them and they said it hadn't been filled and they hadn't found the right candidate. And I applied and it was seven months of an interview process. And it really was, it was just this perfect next step for me that I couldn't have dreamt of. And all those years before, when I thought the dream was producing the Oprah Winfrey show, it was a new dream that I couldn't even have imagined being given this opportunity to be, as she described when I was transitioning out to WW, that I was both her right and left hand. And being a chief of staff means being the central coordinating point for someone across all of their businesses and endeavors. And so for Oprah, that meant being the central coordinating point for her Harpo Productions, Harpo Studios, own the Oprah Winfrey Network, her magazine, the school in South Africa, all of her partnerships and speaking engagements. And it was a dream job, as you can imagine, a a true once in a lifetime opportunity I feel so, so grateful for. And I'm wondering, Amy, you have had the experience of working with people who are, you know, larger than life in some ways. And I can only imagine having a childhood hero of working, you know, Oprah Winfrey. It's just an unbelievable experience. I'm wondering what was, was there anything unexpected about it? Like what, what, what was your first year being her chief of staff like? Surreal, you know, to answer the first part of your question, I don't know if any of you remember, but the final year of the Oprah show, they did a show called season 25 that aired on own that followed the behind the scenes of the Oprah show. So when I first saw that, I almost took myself out of contention for the job because I am not somebody who had ever any interest in being on TV or pursuing that. And, and I felt like, how am I going to do a job where cameras are following me around, especially a new job? And I got over that and then started the job and there are cameras following you around. So imagine you are now watching your favorite reality show and now you are on it, but you don't have an actual function because you're really just observing, trying to learn how to do your job. Most 
awkward, stressful thing I think I've ever experienced. And now somehow you're watching Oprah in her car and now you're in the back seat of her car. So on top of it being this, and you're watching her in her house and on her set, and now you're in her house with her. It was beyond surreal and unbelievable. We were on the road 237 days. I was moving from New York to LA. I was spending a ton of time in Chicago. I was learning all these different organizations and all these different people and, and her former chief of staff, Libby Moore, who is just an extraordinary human being, trained me with so much love and respect and really set me up for success. And it was hard and it was hard understanding the dynamics that were changing in real time. And I, I made three decisions pretty early on in, in a state of forcing myself to stop and say, what is it going to take to be successful here? And, and those three decisions, I think, really set up the impact that I was able to have over, over many, many years. The first thing was don't make any changes for six months. What I realized very quickly is that unless I did things someone else's way, they and understood what about it worked or didn't work, they weren't going to be able to be open to my way of doing things. And so I really respected the legacy of 25 years of doing things a, a certain way, even though so much was changing. And, and once I was ready to make changes, it was very easy to articulate what needed to happen. That was the first thing. The second thing was... I made the decision not to do anything socially with anybody for a year because mm. the biggest part of being a chief of staff is being both a trusted advisor to your principal or whoever you're working for, but also building relationships in an organization and, and earning that trust. And I am naturally a very warm social person. And I knew if I appeared to be aligned with any one group or person that I wouldn't be able to do my job. And so short of having a meal with someone in a hotel on a business trip or doing a a one-on-one -on -one coffee informational. I didn't go to birthday parties. I didn't go to drinks. I didn't go to mm. baby showers. I just really felt like that was going to be the key to being able to navigate so many people. And as you can imagine, when I started at Harpo, there were over 500 people there. There were hundreds and hundreds at, at all of these other organizations. And then the third thing was not to worry about anybody liking me but really focusing on earning respect for what I did, because I knew that once people respected what I did, that it would be very easy to like me. But if I didn't earn respect at the beginning, this job was going to be impossible. And, and so that went for Oprah and executives and the executive team that I oversaw. And it, it was a really, really challenging first year, but I think those three decisions are, are the things that really set me up to be successful later. Hmm. It's really interesting to hear. I'm writing all this down because as Eric knows, one of my dream roles is to be a chief of staff. And I, I'm curious though, the chief of staff role as well as the producer roles are all about supporting someone and lifting someone up or a team of people up and being sort of the person behind the person is how I've heard it described. And you mentioned you never you know, wanted to be in front of the cameras, but have you ever grappled with wanting to be the person? I have never, I have never thought of myself as, as the person behind the person. And in fact, 
I, I don't really see anybody as, as the person behind the person. I think the reason I have been successful is because I have thought I had the most important job at every show or company that I worked at, including when I stapled headshots to resumes at the Gersh agency. <laughs> I actually thought when I became an NBC page and left that the entire agency was going to fall apart if I was not there to do the things that I did every day. And I, and I, and I say that with, with a smile, but also I try to hire people who think that they have the most important job, because I think what we're all doing at any level is supporting whatever the thing we're all trying to do is. And, and in, in Oprah's case, that was helping her be a better version of herself and preparing her for shows and making sure that her life ran smoothly. And so I, I never, I just never saw it that way. I think we all are, when, when something is working well, it is because everyone is doing, doing their part. And I'm wondering, Amy, as we get near the end here, you have this dream role working for an icon, working for your, your, uh, you know, a hero of yours. How, how did you come to decide that it was time to move on and, and take on your next uh, venture? The downside to having had your dream job is what do you do next? It, it was not even a paralyzing thought. I never thought about it. And of all the things that, that Oprah had worked on and that I got to work on with her throughout those years, I had a real passion for her work with WW, which is the artist formerly known as Weight Watchers. She had become a board member, an investor and member, and the brand had had a huge impact on her life and on my life for many years in the lives of so many people that I knew. And there hadn't been another brand that I felt was more in alignment in mission and vision with helping people live their best lives as, as WW and Oprah. It just felt like this perfect, perfect marriage. And she had an idea couple, about two years ago to do a tour with WW and to do big arena shows, but to run it like a campaign and do these whistle stops and bring the biggest stars in the world to have conversations. Um, people like Michelle Obama and Lady Gaga around health and wellness. And we were going to do meditation experiences and workbook exercises and fitness experiences and create community and show people the power of, of the WW brand. And she called me one day and said, you're the only person that, that I think could lead this. And I was kind of shocked because I loved my work with WW, but I was heavily into another project for her at the time. And the second she said it, it felt like exactly the right thing and exactly mm -hmm. the right next step. And so originally I thought I would do that through her Harpo Productions, which I was leading at the time. And our incredible CEO, Mindy Grossman, called Oprah and said, of course, we want Amy to come run this, but we really see this as the beginning of a new business vertical to create community through events, experiences, and, uh, and content. And we want to create a new role. And Oprah called me and, and told me about this idea. And it just felt like this perfect right next thing. One of the reasons that I couldn't have ever imagined leaving my work with Oprah is because I couldn't think of something that I could do that would use every single part of me the way that 
I was able to use every part of myself in that job. And I also didn't know what I could ever do that would have the kind of impact I could have working for her. And here there was this opportunity that allowed me to have even more impact on millions of lives and to use even more of myself than I was able to use as her chief of staff. And so I will be forever grateful to her for blessing this idea and allowing me to to go grow into this new role on the executive team of, of a public company and to continue to, to run her partnership and find new ways to use her unparalleled voice and gift in service of this beautiful brand. Amy, one, one question we like to ask all of our guests is how you would define what a successful career is for you and whether you think that you've achieved it. I don't think there's a successful career unless you feel like you have a successful life. What a lot of people do is make their work priorities the priority over their life. And I think it's really important to remember in the same way I ask myself professionally, what do you love? What lights you up? What is your passion? You have to ask yourself that in your personal life. And, and this year has been very unique in this area for me in that I became a mother this year. And it was something Aww. that I, thank you. It was something Congrats. that I had wanted my whole life. It was actually the only thing that I was ever sure about. If you asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up, I, I wasn't exactly sure, but I knew it was and mother. <laughs> and for a lot of years, I didn't see a path to that because mm -hmm. my career was really the priority. And I always kept that as the single most important thing that I knew that I had to accomplish personally. And I made that happen this year. And, and my daughter is just about nine months old and is the greatest joy of my life. And I actually think becoming a mother has made me a better executive, a better manager, a better leader, a better friend. And I think sometimes we think that you can only excel in one area at a time. And, and I cannot stress enough what a mistake I think that is. I think that your life and all the pieces of your life is an all boats rise situation. And when you are thriving in one area, it lifts up the other areas. And in fact, doesn't take away from any other area. So I do, I feel like I've, I have achieved success because I feel fulfilled in my work and in my life and in my relationships. And, and I, don't, I don't think you can do better than that. You can check out more episodes and subscribe to our newsletter at howigotherepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.